0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the podcast that explores the digital revolution and the incredible ramifications that is having in our professional lives, our personal lives, and everywhere in between. One of our favorite thinkers, a very dear friend of mine, the guy who looks at things in a different way all the time and comes up with some fascinating insights, Christopher Lockhead,
1: one of our monthly guests. Christopher, great to see you. Great to see you, Bob. As you can tell by what I'm wearing, it's freezing cold here in California. And we're um, almost finished building the ark.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, Should be ready
1: in time for the next rain and snowstorm.
0: Still the two by two thing, or is it a multi multi now? Uh,
1: you know, in certain cases, we'll allow for, and if they're really cute and talk to us nicely, maybe six. You know, <laughs> right. So favoritism. I mean, <laughs> let's just be honest. A certain animal, and there's certain animals we're not really sure we need to continue forward with. I mean, just
0: <laughs> but, well, that's your ark, your choice. Hey, uh, brother, when I saw your outfit, you know, I wasn't sure. I, I Cold, I think, coming to the Bay Area is one thing. I just wondered if it was the new style thing. It might be 80 degrees out. I'm just not always up with the current fashion trends. Well,
1: see, see, I am. This is a, a Patagonia um, vest or Patagonia sweatery thing I have on, puffery sweatery thing. And around here, um, we call it Patagucci. Oh, well. Because that's what all the cool kids wear is Patagucci. (laughs) And actually, interestingly enough, as a side note, Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, is one of my absolute business heroes. Uh, And he might be, um, you know, he's a billionaire. Nobody talks about it. Everybody loves to shit on billionaires. Um, And this guy decided that what he was going to do was rather than sell his company when he retired or monetize his company in a meaningful way, take it public, whatever, whatever, he turned it into a charitable foundation. He turned Patagonia, the company, into a charitable foundation <laughs> because he's a he, he doesn't like our natural spaces being destroyed, and he wants to try to do things to try to uh, restore the natural features of the world and uh, and to make a difference. Yeah, he cares about the environment, <clears throat> Bob. So he decided that he was going to give the company away, turn it into a charity, and fund all sorts of uh, goodness for. The environment and animals and plants and and air and water and shit. Yeah. Outstanding. So cool to wear Patagucci.
0: I mean, that even makes it cooler. The fact that you're wearing it makes it really cool. But then
1: the backstory (laughs)
0: just supports that even more.
1: And and to be clear, because I don't want to be sued because there's a lot of these, you know, creators out there who are doing promos for, for things and not declaring it. I am in no way sponsored by Patagonia. I have a very good friend who's a sponsored Patagonia athlete, but that's got nothing to do with anything. I don't even get free shit for that. So I'm in no way compensated for my Patagucci ad.
0: All right. I feel now I need to go back to when I was 12 years old. We were on a Little League All Star team and we played, one of the teams we played against was Patagonia. Now, I don't think there's a connection, but I too, like you, I want to come to this with clean hands. All right. Clean hands. All right. We're set. So, Christopher, uh, I know one of the things you want to chat a little about was Salesforce. And um, in I believe it was, if not your first book, it was one of your first best-selling books, of which you've had a few. Play bigger. You had a great chapter in there about Mark Benioff and what he had done at Salesforce, this unique, remarkable thing he had created. I have never seen in all my years of. Watching businesses and leaders, I have never seen somebody go through uh, a short-term transformation the way Mark Benioff has. So I just wanted to lob that out there because I know you've got some good thoughts on you know, broadly what's going on with, uh, with him and that company.
1: Yeah, so I think he's indicative of something that's happening right now. So, of course, uh, recently Salesforce did a layoff. And he got barbecued, Benioff got barbecued in the Wall Street Journal because he has used um, uh, imagery and mythology and language from Hawaiian culture uh, to infuse it in Salesforce culture. So he talks about Ohana and he talks about how Salesforce is a family and and all of this stuff, right? All The spirit of Aloha, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he had to lay a whole bunch of people off. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was the largest layoff in Salesforce history. Is that right, Bob? The yes. more, most recent one?
0: Yeah, around 8,000.
1: Yeah. And how many employees do they have?
0: It was about 10% of their workforce.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, there was all the stuff about how, you know, work's not family and blah, blah, yada, yada. So first of all, just for the record, I'm a huge Benioff fan. He endorsed Play Bigger the Book we think he's one of the greatest category designers of all time. And I think betting against him is a really dumb idea. Uh, And I, and I don't own the stock to the best of my knowledge. So I'm not, again, not trying to profit off of any of these comments, but I think so betting against some dumb idea. What he said was really interesting and he had the balls to be candid about it. What's going on in Silicon Valley right now is a question called how many fucking people do we really need here? Mm Mm-hmm. And it has been in large part sparked by Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. And I believe he's fired. I th- do you know? I think it's about 70% of the company. Yeah. And the question is, how many people do you really need to run Twitter? And the discussion in Silicon Valley is, hmm, could Google run on half the people? Could Salesforce run on half the people? And in addition, what's going on with Salesforce is they have an activist investor or investors, but led by one in particular, who's been b- building a position in the company, who's trying to apply pressure for uh, more uh, earnings, and margin, m- earnings and margin growth. And, and Apple went through this years ago and um, you could argue Google's gone through it more than once and is gonna go through it again right here now. But here's what's going on. The major tech companies, are not laying people off for economic reasons. They're not. They have tons of cash. They're cash machines. Nobody has more cash than Apple. Apple Apple doesn't need to lay anybody off until the year 3023. No, really. I mean, seriously, they, they have more cash than U.S. Mint. And, and Google is a cash manufacturing machine. They don't need to lay anybody off. And not as much for Salesforce, but Salesforce is a highly uh, cash-generative company. And so these companies are not, you know, in typical downturns when there's layoffs, they're laying people off because there's a downturn in revenue, which drives a downturn in margins, which drives a downturn in earnings and cash flow and so forth. And they have to for the company to survive. In this situation with many of the major tech companies, that is exactly not what's happening. What is happening is in part because of Elon and in part because of uh, uh, activist investors who've been around for a long time, but their voices are being heard now because revenues are coming down, growth rates are coming down. And the big sort of discussion is a culture shift in Silicon Valley from wellness cultures to performance cultures. And so there's a giant experiment going on. And recently, Benioff said every CEO in Silicon Valley has to look at what Elon Musk has done and ask themselves, do they need to unleash their own Elon within them? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And my interpretation of what Mr. Benioff is saying there is maybe we don't need all these people. And more importantly, maybe we got confused, Bob. And can I share a story with you about this? Please do. It was a moment of personal and professional crisis for me. Uh, in the, I can't remember exactly when it would have been, but maybe around twenty fifteen ish, twenty fourteen, somewhere in there. Uh, we had a friend who was a very senior executive at Facebook, a direct report to Mark Zuckerberg, and this executive invited us to their campus. Now, have you been to their campus, Bob, in, in Silicon Valley? I have not. Okay, so let me try and describe to you the scene. Imagine something, uh, you've been to Disney World. Yes. In Florida. You've been to a thousand conferences there at the Swan and Dolphin. By the way, if I ever have to go to the Swan and <laughs> Dolphin again, I'm going to kick myself in the nuts. Um, but I digress. So, so you know, these Disney Resort, and they have hotels And and some of them have like little neighborhoods or towns around them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I don't know if it's the Swan and Dolphin or, but some of them have like, and and they're all very pleasant looking. Have you ever been to the villages? You know, the (laughs) retirement community or any of these sort of any of these pre-planned communities that looked like they were designed by Disney? Okay, so that's sort of imagine that, and and it's so wonderful, Bob. They have Mm. they have they have a woodworking. Area, They have like a, they have like a main street USA kind of a thing. And they have all these different little retail locations in main street USA. And, and you can take time off in the middle of the day from developing software or supporting customers or selling to customers or improving HR relations or whatever the fuck you do there. And you can take some time off with your colleagues and do some woodworking. Yeah. And of course all the food's free and, um, if the avo toast, if the avo is not, if it's too, if it's not, if it's not, you see, the thing about avocados, Bob, they have to be kind of perfect. They have to be soft. You know, when you squish, when sure. you're, you're going to buy them. If they're too firm, you don't want to buy that shit. It's not like tomatoes where you want to buy them firm. It's like avocados they have to have the right amount of mush. But if they have too much, so they're sort of like bananas. Not too soft. Right. And so here's what's happened. Over the last 20 years or so, we developed a mindset here in Silicon Valley that says the only way to attract employees is to cuddle them and to coddle them. And we're going to take responsibility for your wellness. And we want you to bring your whole self to work. And we want you to have meetings about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with anything that we do, be it politics, be be it society, be it whatever the fuck, right? And so this is what we're going to do and we're going to and if the avo toast is wrong the avo toast committee is going to get on you and there's going to be a protest. And when and, and when the CEO tells us what to do well we don't do it that would be insane. We have a meeting to discuss whether we even want to consider doing it and maybe if we don't want to do it it's time to write a petition or maybe a a, a substack post about what an asshole the part the the bosses. Uh-huh. All right, well, that that's not worked. That's what's happened. So guess what? Any culture where one of the core values is produce results or get fired, any company who doesn't have that as a core value is learning, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And for 20 years, we've been concerned about that. As a matter of fact, there's something that I tweet on a regular basis. It goes like this. Marketing that does not produce revenue is called arts and crafts. And Bob, the marketing people who get really mad at me about that. Are yeah, just, yeah, how can you just, say that? That's not fair. How, how dare you? This, how dare you? So there's a big shift to performance cultures. And of course, everybody says, well, can't we have both? And I think we can. I think we can have an employee caring culture, a sensitive culture, an inclusive culture around results, yeah. around results. The reason you and I have had a a damn near 30 year relationship is I respect the results you produce. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. If you were a wanker who didn't do anything and just flapped your mouth and was an idiot, wouldn't be here. So, If you look at all the work relationships we have, the people that we gravitate towards are the people who produce the biggest and most impressive results on the most consistent basis. Somehow that got to be controversial. And so uh, I think we're going to see a a huge transformation here shift to performance cultures that are employee centric. I'm not saying be assholes. I'm not saying right. whip the horse's heart. I'm not saying any of that. It's so funny what people can infer. Right. Right. And I'm not saying your boss shouldn't care about you as a person. But you know what? I can care about you as a person. But if you never show up to work because you're so busy aligning yourself and getting your chakras right or doing whatever the fuck you're doing that's not writing software or marketing software or selling software or doing recruiting people or fucking whatever it is you're supposed to be doing sooner or later, I'm going to be tired of your chakras and I'm going to want you to produce results. And that's, what's happening in Silicon Valley. And it's happening at scale and it's happening because of a, the downturn and B uh, external pressures. It's not happening because big tech companies don't have tons of cash.
0: Well, Christopher, you know, I was thinking, as you talked about marketing that doesn't drive revenues, uh, arts and crafts, great line. But I also thought for a while, you know, among the leaders and companies that I followed some, you know, for the while, well, the CIOs, <clears throat> because their role in uh, choosing and deploying technology and helping to drive innovation, because that I always was mystified why there could be this gap in some ways, you know, that the CIOs felt. Uh, well, I, I can't be measured on. I don't have any impact on revenue. You know, those there were some people who felt that way. My job is to support the business. And it says, so you're not part of the business. You're, you're ancillary to it. So any of these constructs that we put up culturally, traditionally, or in this whole thing about the employees... <laughs> Hey, I know that software projects do. I got to finish my woodworking project, right? It isn't just that the mindset of the temptations there. these companies have, as you have so eloquently described, but they've facilitated this. They've asked for it. They've almost required it. We built this stuff. Nobody's used. Get out there, do your woodworking. You know, uh, explore the shot. So, because I do want to ask about this, though, it's interesting in the case, particularly of Mark Benioff, because as you said, you know, he has been. Uh, you know, out on the forefront of a lot of this stuff. Some of his political activism around things certainly sent the message throughout the company. This is the direction our company chooses to take and our leader chooses to take here. Um, Now, he, instead of being the activist shareholders and others saying, hey, you got to go, he's turned around and says, I'm going to lead the the pendulum back from performance then to wellness, back to performance. Is he going to be able to do that?
1: I, I think so. And look, I, it's not like he and I are friends and hang out on the weekend, so I'm not giving you any inside information. I, I think so, because um, uh, the company's still founder-led, and that's what it took to build that thing. Remember, in 1998, when he launches, the cloud doesn't exist.
0: Yeah.
1: Sorry, I, I thought I was going to sneeze there.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> Apparently, a, I'm not. a sneezy
1: look. I was, I was feeling it. I even put my mute button on. You're geared up. I was geared up. Uh, and so I think a, well, it's possible that external CEO could, could sort of reinvigorate a company like this. I think there's massive advantage to the founder trying to do it. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't bet against him. And look, I, I don't want to sound overly shitty. I think like many things, these ideas start from a very good place. Oh, we want to care about our people. Oh, we want to create a a work environment that's relaxing, that's welcoming, that's uh, uh, conducive to collaboration and positive relationships. And that's all good shit. It's just like a lot of things, we overdid it by a lot.
0: Christopher, there was a a baseball player, played for the Athletics, a couple other teams, Jose Canseco he 20, 25 years ago, something like that. He had some fantastic years, but as he got on, he wasn't maybe taking as good a care of himself as he could. His contract ran out. He was bouncing around a couple of different teams. One team signed him up in spring training. And after about two or three weeks of spring training, you know, when he didn't show up much and when he did, he didn't do anything. They cut him. <laughs> he, called, he called a press conference and he said, I didn't know I was going to be evaluated on my
1: performance. Oh, <laughs> ah, who knew? Yeah. It's like, why did Tom Brady retire? <laughs> I'll tell you why he retired. Can no longer do the job. Can't perform. Now, Oh, yeah, but he was still performing in the top 25% of quarterbacks. He, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Great. He decided he could no longer perform. I, I'm not making a judgment about the guy. He said, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. I'm getting beat up. It's too much. It's too whatever the fuck. And he retired. And I'm going to go on my terms. Well, for the second time. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> but First my point is he retired good. because he can't perform. You, He can't do the job. That was his opinion. Not my opinion. His opinion. Right. So guess what? We are in the job that we are in as long as we are highly performant. Results do not equal no results plus an excuse, period. And there's been a decoupling of that in business. Like, oh, but I want to be valued for who I am. Okay, well, we we'll value for who you are if you produce results. That's the part. So It's the missing part. It's like, It's like when Kennedy says, in 10 years, we're going to put a man on the moon. And then he says, the most important part, if you're the man... And return them safely to earth. That's the part that nobody ever says about that quote. But Uh if you're the man, that part's the most important part of the quote. And so, yes, we want to have a radically inclusive culture where people are highly collaborative and everybody respects each other. That produces results or you're fucking fired. And I Uh don't care. And you can't and you can't have the you can't have nice chakras and no results and keep your job. Yeah. And if you produce results and your chakras are a off, we'll probably keep you. That's the other part that nobody says. You know what? Hey, Sally and Jim are pains in the ass to work with. Why don't we fire them? I'll tell you why we don't fire them. Sally's our number one salesperson (laughs) and Jimmy's our number two. And yeah. We, they should go to a little bit of plight in the school and we'll have HR talk to them every once in a while when they piss people off. But uh unless they do something insane, truly insane, uh shut up and maybe try to produce some results like they do. This is the part that's been missing. <laughs>
0: hey, um, Chris, I want to go back because you have mentioned on more than one occasion your your challenges with math. You know, the uh what was it, the, the longest eight years you spent was
1: <laughs> Yeah, grade three was the longest eight years of my life. Grade three math, yeah. Gotcha. But
0: you, I think I caught Lockheed's theorem in there. Uh, Results do not equal lack of results plus excuses. That's a mathematical formula.
1: That's math. Yeah, that's my favorite equation. Results do not equal no results plus an excuse. That's my favorite math. All right.
0: Good. It's math I understand.
1: Progress. It's never too late in life for progress. So you can always learn things. You can always learn things. All right, so uh, I think this me- is a very positive thing. I think it's a discussion we should be having, and I think it's a discussion that uh, we should should be having broadly with our colleagues in our companies. What is the culture we want to have? And here's the mistake. People view this as a false choice, as they do many things. It's not should we have a performance culture or should we have a uh, a welcoming culture or should we have – a caring culture or, or 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 wellness culture it's that's not the choice the choice is how do we have a legendary culture that produces massive results and is a great place to work go figure what the i don't know the answer for that for your company but that's the question so it's the don't forget they return him safely to earth part <laughs> yes <laughs> inclusion yes bring your best self to work Yes, if companies want to take social positions, I was very loud talking about when some of these things were happening that companies do have to take certain positions on certain things. I was very loud, and I, I think I got deplatformed as a result <laughs> for a while, uh, calling out CEOs who were still doing business in Russia at the beginning of the war and things along those lines. And so, right. and you can you can argue that I'm wrong or argue that I'm right, but I, I think let me state it this way: if CEOs and company leaders want to take positions, on certain social or political topics that's their right and in many cases i think it's a good thing for them to do um but that's that's their right it's up to benioff do i respect and admire benioff for his stand on lgbtq rights i do i really do um do i respect his stand on on trying to give back and charity and and many other things he's done and what he's done with the the hospital system here in san San francisco and so forth and so on wonderful guy and um what part of there's 13 weeks in the quarter, don't you understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, not mutually exclusive. That's uh, the
1: point. That's the big aha, I think. Christopher,
0: I was, uh, you know, I, I've been a big fan of the guy as, you know, the the CEO of Salesforce and the founder of Visionary for a long time. And I, uh, you know, this is this is probably more of an admission than I should make in public, but I really enjoy uh, earnings calls. Just because there's a time for a CEO, they can come up, they can talk about anything they want. What do they choose to talk about? What do they say about it? What do they not talk about? And this last earnings call, you know, Mark Benioff, if you change a couple words, it was him at his sort of revival you know, evangelist best. He was, you know, voice going up and down. He was enthusiastic, but he was gushing instead of what would have been, you know, a couple of years ago about customers and look at this incredible, you know, high end luxury retail. We're doing this, we're doing this. He was talking about how great these new board members are and about how, uh you know, the financial analysts, how wonderful they are and how much help they've been. I'm not trying to criticize him. Uh, He doesn't need any judgment from me one way or the other. And I think his position in history is one of the great entrepreneurs and business visionaries. That's set. I am just struck by the fact that from one quarter to the next, he did a 180 on things. And what is the message then inside his company to the people who are staying? And yeah, it's some about performance, but I think uh, Chris, if I was a customer, I'd be scratching my head a little bit and saying, What is this going to mean for me? Because Mark sure did not talk about that on the earnings call. And if I was a Salesforce competitor, I would get the fangs out and go after them like never before. Uh, and maybe, you know, after those efforts, Salesforce will continue to be by far the dominant CRM player. But I think what he was exposing here was a chance. This isn't just how the CEO talks. This is what the company is going to do, what our priorities are, what we're going to value. And it'll probably be an unfolding story. Maybe I'm not being fair to him, give him a chance to sort of roll out those other things. But uh, he is as good a communicator as there's ever been in the tech business. And what he said, what he didn't say, I think really came through loud and clear. I just thought it was fascinating to see. And it really represents in a very profound way this huge change that you started off your conversation today talking about it is a not a Salesforce thing it's an industry-wide thing and probably like a the whole economy-wide thing CEOs in every industry are going to have to figure out those the answers to those questions
1: yes yes very much so and I I didn't hear the call that's fascinating what I would say in reaction I was just looking it up to make sure I got it right so uh, often when um posed with uh, uh questions of of sort of where's true north uh i return to uh rock and roll and peter drucker
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, peter drucker on this topic says quote the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer <laughs> and so here to when CEOs stop talking about customers and their problems and their opportunities, and they talk about almost anything else, including their own products, that that's the listening. That's the way I listen, I, yep. right? Fall in love with the problem, not the solution, right? Everybody's obsessed with their solution, right? Well, uh, uh, nobody buys, uh, nobody buys a drill. They buy a hole, but you sell drills, right? It's all that, right? And so um, if Benioff is not talking about customers, their problems, their opportunities, what they're doing with the cloud, how exciting it is that they're pioneering new whatevers and whatever the fuck they're doing, the degree to which you're not talking about that is probably the degree to which you have a problem. Yeah. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I was on a call this week with a um, a CEO and a CMO. And the CEO is going to do this really big, important speech. And one of the topics was kind of the flow of the speech and, and so forth and so on. And there are several people on the call, and somebody on the call says, "Well, you know, CEO person, um, everybody always loves it when you share personal stories. What what what, what personal stories are you going to share here?" And I'm I I go like this, and I bite my tongue. <laughs> and um, in the case of this CEO, this CEO is somebody who's uh, got their moorings where they're supposed to be. Uh, he says, uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, sometimes I like to share personal stories, but just as a way to create a connection with people, um, the reality is what I want to talk about in, in this outline is I'm going to hit all these points, but I want to do it by telling customer stories. He says, cause I spend about half my time with customers and they tell me all sorts of fascinating things, not just about what they're doing with us, but what they're doing in general. And so I want to talk about what's going on broadly and yes, what, what customers are doing with us, but I want to talk about what their problem. Are and what how they're addressing them and how they're thinking about them. Some of them relate right to buying and using our shit, and some of them don't. But I want to talk about customers and their problems and their challenges and where their heads are at. And I was like, ah, oh, good grasshopper. <laughs>
0: did the did the uh personal uh evangelist come take a second whack at that?
1: Uh no, that was the end of that. <laughs> good, good,
0: good, Yeah. Um well, Chris, I know you had said there was a sort of a second and you believe related topic
1: that you Yeah, love. it's it's the relatedness of it is an interesting um, dot to connect that um, might be controversial and, and might not be as prevalent as I think it is, but maybe I, I think there's a connection. So, but let's see. So um, if you take a step back and you look at the last 20 years and then you look at the data and you look at the research, Um, There's a a PhDs at Brookings who have been studying this stuff. And there's some very smart people in in academia looking at this. But it's not a topic that has uh, broken out broadly into the mainstream. And here's the topic. The uh, man drought in America. And, um, you know, climate change has created uh, a water drought. And social change. Is creating a man drought and i think we should talk about it because i think it has profound ramifications for all of us and our companies so let's just go through some of um let's just go through some of the data first of all the good news the positive news is it appears that if you, if you argue that the women's liberation movement sort of gets brewing in the 60s and kind of ascends in the 70s and builds from there is that a fair do you think i believe it is so tremendous progress has been made. As a matter of fact, today in the Wall Street Journal, <clears throat> the journal reports that, quote, women have gained more jobs than men for four straight months. And women now hold 49.8 percent, starting to sound a lot like half of all non- non-farm jobs. And my interpretation of non-farm jobs is generally uh, knowledge worker type jobs and, and and service worker type jobs, although I think service worker jobs are knowledge worker jobs but um, so so half of the non-farm jobs uh, are now uh, women. Um, now interestingly, the unemployment rate in the United States in January hit a 53 year low of 3.4 percent. So we're arguably at zero unemployment. Mm-hmm. But here's the rub. And it depends on whose data you want to believe. I've seen numbers as high as 9 million and as low as 6, 7 million. But how, whosever numbers you want to look at, here's the aha, a massive number of prime working age men. And generally this is I, I'm reporting news and I've given you all the links to all the data sources here for, for that. You can have Bob. So this is not, I'm not making this shit up. Right. Um, so according to, let's see, we've got CBS news on this one. Um, uh, a massive amount of men, prime age, 25 to 54, are uh, out of work. They're gone. So there's a hole in the U.S. economy. There's a massive hole called six to eight million men, a prime earning age, not working. Okay, so let that swizzle around in your head for a second. Um, and they're doing it at a time where there's zero unemployment. So the reason they're not working is not because there's not jobs. Now, 60% of college students today are women. Mm -hmm. And for every two men who get a college degree this year, there will be three women who do the same. According to your friends at the Atlantic, that far right publication that you love, Bob, um, Most managers in business now are women. So you're more likely to be working for a woman today than you are for a man. And uh, of the 15 job categories projected to grow the most in the next decade in the United States, all but two categories are primarily jobs that are dominated by women. Mm -hmm. And this is from an article. Let me make sure I get you this one right. Yeah, this this is from an article in The Atlantic called The End of Men. And uh, what they say here is, quote, indeed, the U.S. economy is in some ways becoming a kind of traveling sisterhood, upper class women leaving home and entering the workforce, creating domestic jobs for other women to fill. So what what do we have? We have women ascending at unprecedented rates. And um, I think virtually everybody would say, fucking A. That's awesome. That's what we were trying to get done. Now, but here's the bummer. It's it's turned into a weird situation that um, feels like, to some, is a zero-sum game. It's actually not. It was actually about creating abundance, not tilting for women and against men. It's about creating abundance and opportunity for all. But somewhere this has gotten lost. So let's look at what's going on with men. Uh, In 1953, 98% of men of prime working age, uh, 24 to 54, I think was the numbers, had a job or were looking for them. 98%. This report says 7.2 million have essentially dropped out of the workforce. Uh, Jay Timmons, who leads the National Association of Manufacturers, says, quote, we have more jobs than we have people for about one and a half jobs for every one worker and yet there's over 7 million men who aren't even looking for work they have quote unquote they are affirmatively not looking for work they have quote unquote punched out and that's february 10th 2023 and this is from our friends at moneywise okay so that's that's what's going on now why well, there's some interesting data. Get this. Uh, one in four uh, children in the United States, um, twenty-three percent exactly, uh, grow up without a father in the home. Here's the interesting thing about that. In the rest of the world, that number is 7%. So a quarter of our kids, and this is not good for girls or boys, are uh, growing out without a father in the house. Here's the other thing that's interesting. When you and I were young, there were male teachers, not so much now. Mm -hmm. So men account for a shrinking share of the teaching profession, just 24% Mm. down from 33% in the eighties in elementary schools, only 11% of teachers are men. And in the earliest years, 3% of kindergarten teachers are men. And the article, uh, where did I get this from? This is from oh, this is from the U.S. government. There you go. Must be true. Um, and apparently, three uh, percent of men are kindergarten teachers, and uh, that's only half of the women who are flying military planes. Mm-hmm. So, what do we have happening here? Women are ascending, good, and men are falling behind, bad. We don't have as many men in the home and there are almost no male influences or radically few in school. Now here's the other thing that's going on. More than 40% of boys, 16 to 19 are obese. Hmm. And guess what happens when men and boys get fat? Their testosterone levels shrink. They come down radically. When The fatter you are, the less um, testosterone you have generally. And I'm not an expert. I'm just reporting the news. This is from Harvard uh, Health Publishing. Um, And uh, a 2007 study of 1,600 men, ages 40 and above, found that with each point increase in BMI, mm-hmm. there was a 2% decrease in testosterone. A four inch increase in waist size decreases the a man's odds of having or increases, excuse me, a man's odds of having low testosterone by 75 percent. So what's happening to boys and men? They're becoming fat and feminine. That's what's happening, because when you get fat, you get feminine because testosterone goes down and estrogen goes up. Now, today, about one in four millennials are living with their parents, so that would be uh, an, a disproportionate number are men. That's about 18 million people in the United States between 26 and 41. According to Dr. Nick, Nicholas Eberstadt of the American Enterprise Institute, quote, a cast of men has arisen that finds it socially acceptable and financially possible to scrape by in an employment-free existence. And further today, one in four boys in school is diagnosed with a quote, developmental disorder, many of which cause them to be on some kind of behavior or mood altering or brain altering drug. Now, a little bit more data for you. Uh, what's the worst job in America right now, Bob? Military recruiter. Yeah. Why? the average military-aged female or male in this country can't do 10 push-ups. Approximately 71% of the 34 million 17 to 24-year-olds in the United States would not qualify for military service because of reasons related to health, physical appearance, and or educational background, according to the Pentagon. So 71% of the candidate pool we can't recruit from because... And let's just say it, they're fat and out of shape. And then, so you say, well, what are these dudes doing? I mean, I don't understand how they make a living, but apparently they can scrape by. Uh, maybe aided by language, their parents, maybe aided by their friends.
0: I don't think that is uh, right, how they make a living. They, uh, that, that doesn't apply to them, right?
1: They don't make a living, <laughs> but here's what they are doing. You ready they for are, this?
0: They are alive, period. But sorry.
1: Yes. Here's what they are doing. Men aged 13 to 17 in the United States, uh, 85% of them play video games daily or weekly for an average of two hours and 58 minutes a day. That's three hours a day. What's three times five, Bob?
0: I would say 15, Chris.
1: Okay. And what's three times seven? 21, Chris. Okay. So whether you want to say a five day work week or a seven day work week, they have a um, what we used to call part time job, plus or minus 20 hour a week job called video games. That's 13 to 17 year olds. You ready for this? Young men, 18 to 29, 83 percent of them play video games. So virtually the same percentage and because they have more responsibilities, they're older, they're more mature, Bob, they pl- only play for an average of two hours and 16 minutes wow. a day. So if you say that seven days a week, let's just call that 14 hours a week, is that right? Sounds good. If you say the average work week is 40 hours, to be simple, call round up, call that 20 hours a week, right? So what's going on here? We have a generation of young men who are overweight, who are not physically active, who are uh, low on testosterone, 25% of which uh, have quote unquote de- developmental disorder, who are not graduating college, and many of whom are staying at home and they're playing video games. That's where we're at. Out of that whole depression. That's, 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 that's the state of men in the United States. And it has profound ramifications for all of us in business who want to be uh, building uh, companies and recruiting young men for our companies. It also has profound impact. And this is the part, first of all, none of this ever gets talked about in general. And here's the part nobody talks about when they do talk about it, if they do. The people this is the worst for in a lot of ways are young women. I know many super high potential young women, and there are no men. If you are a 25-year-old, super high potential, somebody really going somewhere, somebody really going for it, smart, driven, focused, want to build a legendary life woman, it's really hard right now because the uh, gene pool of prospective mates is shrinking. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we know this and we understand the dynamics you and I have talked about in the past around native digitals, everybody's talking about the future of work. Here's what they're not talking about. The future of work are native digital females. That's the future of work.
0: Uh- again resisting the urge to go shoot myself I think this is that's uh but I know Chris wasn't your your point but gosh that's a that's an ugly picture and you I believe your big point is nobody's talking about this it deserves to be discussed and I think of that whole long list of bullet points Chris affecting young men or describing the state of young men I think the one that was Least concerning or least troublesome was one that, you know, they're, they're very few going to college. A while ago, that might have seemed like, well, that's terrible. You know, we've got to change, we have to fix that. All those other things to me seem even worse. Um, you know, you've talked a lot about this opportunity for in today's world, the entrepreneurship, somebody who's motivated and driven. College can help some people and it's not quite necessary for other people. That's okay. But I don't think it was that long ago we thought that was the thing. You know, if you don't go to college, you're doomed to earning only 40% of what people with a college degree have. But you just talked about some stuff that makes going and not going to college seem almost trivial. Um, And that's not just a Yeah,
1: we've raised an entire generation of men who uh, have opted out. We've created an environment one way or another where it is okay for men to not um uh, i'm just going to call it a spade a spade be what we have historically said men did men were and um here's if you're if you're ready for this there's a big discussion about uh uh toxic masculinity and i think there is toxic masculinity and i think people like andrew tate are some of the most disgusting men in the world today Um, and so, uh, I I think that's real. And I think that, uh, women have been abused and I think the workplace and the me too movement, these are very, very real and very, very, very important things. And I'm glad they happened to change the conversation. And what I'm saying is, um, the next part of this conversation is continuing that that stuff needs to continue to get talked about. And certainly when me too happened, I had no idea. And I'd had a, 30 year career when me too broke out that it was that so many women said it was as bad as they said it was and shame on me for that and shame on the rest of us for that and when i say the rest of us i mean uh, us people with more testosterone than estrogen estrogen at least for a while um and so so that's all that's positive see people could hear the discussion that we're having as some kind of anti-woman pro-man thing No, no 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 not anti-human being it's not, it's anti-human being to not have these discussions. So it's not about women winning and men losing. That's a false choice. Yes. It's about, it's about true diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's about true opportunity for all. And it's about true merit-based uh, work environments. Um, that's what it's about. And in this situation, I think unless we are all comfortable with a culture and a world that is uh, native digital and female, if we think that's okay, then current course and speed is fine. If we think the worst thing for women is a gene pool of men who are overweight, uh, low testosterone, unworking video game playing, um, Cheeto eaters, um, if women think that's okay, then we're on a good path for women. And as a as a man myself, I'm terrified. You know, all this dis- discussion about China and, and Russia and, and situation going on in the world, well, we're not going to have a military because they, the young men, and women for that matter, in the military can't do push-ups. Right? Look at what the average cop looks like in our country. I mean, I just go, need or not, or I'll run away from you. You can't catch me. I mean, just look at where we're at. And so... Um, I think as business leaders and as community community leaders, we have to say, okay, wait a minute. Something's happening here, and it's not healthy for us as a society. It's not healthy for women. It's clearly not healthy for men. And um, if there's toxic masculinity, is there, tos- there must be toxic femininity. And so the question is, how do we get rid of all of it? How do we create an environment that is welcoming? If the teacher numbers, so let's think about what's happened in STEM, Bob. Mm -hmm. So the STEM numbers for women are disgusting. There's been a huge movement to try to improve those numbers. Based on my understanding of the data, more and more women are getting involved with STEM. There's still a lot of of room to, to improve for sure. I'm not suggesting that. But there's been a consorted effort over the better part of 20 years to try to make a difference there. And it seems to have been working. Uh, if you look at doctors, by way of example, there's been a massive breakthrough in the last 20, 25 years in the number of of women doctors, and and some of these things were consorted efforts to uh, have women be attracted to medical and and more scientific and more engineering oriented pursuits, and that's amazing. There's been no similar discussion about how do we make the um, uh, kindergarten, elementary, middle school, and high school teaching jobs more inclusive of man. There's been no discussion of what does it mean when a 13 year old is developing from a boy into a man and all of the uh, physical changes are occurring. And he has abnormally high based on historical records, amounts of estrogen in him because he's radically overweight. It changes the man that he turns into. And is it changing him in a good way? I think these are questions. I, I don't have answers to any of these questions, but what I do know is nobody's talking about them. Yeah. yeah. What I do know is, uh, uh, in the rest of the world, 7% of children grow up without a father in the home or a strong role, male role model in the home in the United States, it's almost a quarter. That's a problem. So think about this. There's no man in the house and there's almost no men at school. And so young boys and young girls don't experience male role models in meaningful ways, at least roughly a quarter of them, until they're out of high school. So these are discussions I think we need to have. And I think it has profound impacts on our companies and to our first topic on performance cultures or not. Yeah. Because generally, and this is another area of controversy, the hard-nosed, more hard-nosed cultures generally are viewed as being more male and the softer ones more female, generally. So I don't know where the right answer is on any of this shit, but what I do know is we are at such a time of insane wokeness that most people fear even bringing these things up because at most companies this discussion the dei folks will blow you the fuck out because dei isn't about that dei is about very narrow dei at most companies very narrow definition
0: well christopher um uh, first i want to thank you for raising uh this issue i think it's an enormous challenge um as a society, as a country, and certainly, you know, to your point too, about employment base, customer bases, these sorts of things. So I'm not trying to over-commercialize it, but that's terrible. I I, I have been puzzled for a long time, not, not at the um, horrible things that, uh, you know, some men are capable of. I'm very aware of that. But to me, the term toxic masculinity applies much more appropriately to that nightmare scenario you've just described. That is toxic masculinity, the poisoning of what's going on here. Again, I'm not saying that to, um, you know, be light handed about the, you know, abuse of women. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. But you've raised something quite profound and powerful here. And Chris, the fact that nobody wants to talk about it, I think is one of the uh you know nightmares of this overly woke culture where if you don't agree a hundred percent with the loudest voice then you are all these you know hater hater racist blah blah so on things like that so there's no conversation and the result is yes that nightmare list of data points that you read off there uh, th- this isn't an occasion
1: there's thing. more nightmare in that data that I, it's only scratching the surface for the last five years i've been collecting this data and it is shocking and nobody's talking about it and here's why I think I think we're at a point of toxic wokeness that everybody's afraid to talk about everything and here's why because people don't fucking think and in specific on this topic they think if you bring up this topic you are somehow anti-woman and that could not be further than the truth this is uh, that's a false narrative that's a false choice Absolutely. there's no choice that says oh yes if women can win, then men can't. No, that's exactly what we don't want. What do we want? We want Everybody. thriving women and thriving men. And ideally, we want thriving men and thriving women to build a thriving future together. With thriving with children. Families. And listen, I'm not some insane fundamentalist either. There's a lot of definitions of a thriving family. We just had Peter Mutumbazu on my podcast. Peter grew up. In insane poverty in Uganda. Horrible. And he was saved as a street kid by a guy who became his foster father. And from that point forward, he had one dream and one dream only, and that was to be a foster dad. And he made his way from Uganda through scholarships and so forth, and through, 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 through charity and the kindness of others, and through incredible hard work, and dedication and earning an incredible education in Uganda, in the UK, and in the United States. Today, Peter lives in North Carolina. He's been a foster dad for six years. And Peter has fostered 32 children. <laughs> and he's wow. adopted two of uh, he's adopted two of them, and he's in the process of adopting three. That's and this awesome. is a man who, when he's out in public with his children, is forced to carry his papers. Because people call the cops. Because when people see a black man alone, i.e. with no woman, and four or five white children, because and he explained this to me, the way the foster system works is simple. You become a foster parent, you raise your hand, and they bring you who they bring you. Uh-huh. He's gotten many more white children than he has black children. He's a black dude. They call the fucking cops on him. The cops show up with guns drawn. And he puts up his arms and says, hey, I got all my papers. I'm a foster dad. These are my children. Let me explain this to you. Everybody calm down. So, you know, what's my point? My point is clear. This is about true meritocracy. This is about true diversity, equity, and inclusion for all. Opportunity for all who earned the right. Not because they're a fill in the blank, whatever fuck thing you say you are, but because you earned the right. And what we don't want is you to be discriminated against for the fact that you are, in Peter's case, a black foster father. Or because you're a woman or because you're a man or because of your sexual preference or because or sexual whatever we're supposed to call it today. That's supposed to be fucking right. Jesus. Right. Orientation, whatever. Everybody's welcome. I always, I always love those churches that have that sign: "Everybody Welcome," because at a lot of churches, a lot of synagogues, a lot of places of worship, not everybody's welcome. Is everybody welcome? Yes. Now, does that mean that everybody's equal? No. Results do not equal no results. Plus, a woke excuse. A lot. No, Mayor, you did not get fired because you were a woman. You got fired because Chicago is overrun by criminals. Get your head on straight. Yeah. And so this is the this is where people get worried that if you bring up facts and data that it means you're against somebody. Or and when that's not what it means. What it means is we need to have a conversation. What's the society we want to have? What's the work world we want to have? What's the work culture we want to have? And how do we create true equality of opportunity and a meritocracy based on, you know what the people who do well do well because they produce results and the people who don't don't. And we want equality around the access to opportunity based on real meritocracy. I think, I think here's what I know. I I think we need to have this discussion and I know people are going to get mad at me for saying I'm, pro something and anti something and so before they do go fuck yourself i'm not i'm pro human being you know it's like it's like the um linkedin wants you to give them your pronouns and i've asked people why 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 is this a category of identifier that is now in every digital product we have you know this the the podcast platform we use for follow your different it's called Squadcast, and it wants to know my pronouns all the time. So I ask people in the DEI world, "What what is this? Why is this here? Not I, I'm curious. I want to know. This wasn't a thing, and now it's everywhere. And 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 LinkedIn tells me I need to do this all the time, and I want to know why. And here's the answer I get. The answer I get is well, um, it is a way of being inclusive. So that the people who do not identify as what some people might say, what I would say is their obvious gender, have an opportunity to say what they want to be identified as. Well, I, I think that's great. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what you want to call yourself. I really, I really don't. And the funny thing about our generation is you're talking to a guy who grew up going to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And would jump on stage with all my friends at the Rocky Horror Show singing, "Touch a touch touch me, I want to be dirty, and I'm a sweet transvestite." Because one of our biggest heroes was a transvestite. You're talking to a guy who one of the first twenty five songs I learned to play on guitar was the Kinks' "Lola."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's about losing your virginity to a trans person. That's what that song's about. Uh, last time I checked, uh, one of our biggest heroes growing up was Iggy Pop, was Iggy Pop and David Bowie. Who were sexually and amb- amb- had sexual ambiguity built into the program. <laughs> Rebel, 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 David Bowie, your mom's not sure if you're a boy or a girl. These were topics that weren't controversial, at least for me as a young person growing up. And I had LBGTQ heroes in my artistic life <laughs> whose songs I learned to play and sing. Um. So, this is the part that's now gotten missing. Everybody's a social justice warrior for fill in the blank. Well, who's the social justice warrior for good people who's against assholes? That's the pronoun. I want to know that pronoun. No, really? What's the pronoun I'm for you. I'm good? I'm with you. No, no. I'm- I, and I'm not trying to be facetious. What's the pronoun for? I support all people of color who are legendary and all people of color who are assholes. I don't support that. What's that pronoun?
0: And like you said, Chris, this has been, you know, all of our lives, 50 years been living this stuff. It's been real. Um, Hey, first I want to thank you for raising some very, very important data, some very important questions, some significant challenges that I think as you described so well, people are uh, unwilling, afraid, or uh just uh they don't want to have them they don't want to step in these minefields but the result of not having those discussions is going to be a pretty ugly next 5 10 15 20 years in this country and beyond that and chris if i could i'd just like to close out with a little personal anecdote um (laughs) that uh, i have two beautiful daughters i have at this point one and a half beautiful granddaughters and um When my younger daughter was in uh, middle school, so sixth, seventh, eighth grade, she went to a private school, small school, not great athletic programs. I helped coach the girls basketball team for, it would have been 12, 13, 14 years old. One day the head coach was out, he couldn't be there. I was uh, coaching it. And at this school, anybody who went out for the team made the team. Uh, it was not performance driven, which was okay. You know, the, the girls were out there having fun. Some of the girls on the basketball team had never played basketball before, but they wanted to be on the team. They're very, very chatty. This one day at practice when I was in charge, I said, Okay, we've got a lot of energy. Let's take some of that out by running some lines. So we we're doing the thing run up, run back, run up, run back. Okay, so now this time we're going to run up forward and run back backwards. And a couple of the girls looked at me like I was crazy and said, You can't make us run backwards. And I said, "Well, if you want to play basketball, you have to know how to run backwards, right? If we were playing hockey, you'd have to uh, skate backwards. But you got to know how to run backwards." And I said, "If you if you just feel this is too terrible, you can stay over here. But everybody who's interested in playing basketball today, get up here, run back, forward, run back, backwards, into the court, back, backwards, tripped, and uh, you know the other ones run, they're glaring at me. I got called the principal's office later, and all this. And I said." I'm not trying to be an ogre here or something. You want to play basketball, which is the sport we were practicing for. You have to know how to run backwards. And even if you don't want to play basketball, running backwards is a good thing. It's healthy. It makes you. Anyway, we we got through that. (laughs) But I still look back and laugh. And I think the person who was laughing hardest is my daughter, Glenn. She uh, she was wondering afterward, you know, why would somebody think that that's weird? No, no, to run backwards. Sports is supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging, uncomfortable. You get, anyway, Chris, I'll, I'll close it at that. These are all good outcomes. Uh, and again, I want to thank you. You had no reason in the world to feel that you needed to raise this. You wanted to. These are good conversations. And this point about, uh, you know, the fact that, you don't want to subscribe to the um, these mandates that a lot of people are putting out. It doesn't make you hate it. It makes you clear-headed, smart, valuable, and different. And it's one of the reasons why we treasure you so much here. It's why you're a best-selling author, a best, highly ranked podcaster, and been successful at what you've done. You want to know the truth about things, Chris, and you go after it. And it's one of the reasons I'm so proud to have you as a friend. And uh, this was just terrific.
1: Terrific. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I love you. Love you too, brother.
0: All right, my friends. Well, you won't hear anything like what this guy talked about today anywhere else. Thank you for being with us. We hope we're going to think long and hard about some of the stuff Chris raised. We'll have all those data points in the show notes, as Chris mentioned. And uh, let's see if we can all work to try to continue to raise the opportunities for women in the business world and everywhere else, and also try to get guys going back in the right direction as well. Thanks for being with us.